Masechet Ketubot, Daf Samechtet. We're talking about the right of a daughter to receive a dowry from her father, and if her father has died, from the inheritance that goes to her brothers. We're going to see a fascinating Shita opinion that a daughter is actually inherit. Uh, but first, if, uh, if there are brothers there, and uh, the brothers uh, have the inheritance, and they sell a piece of land, can she go ahead and uh, collect from that land? Does she have a lien on the land? So that's the question. The first generation Amora in Bavel sent a letter to Rabbi Udanasi, and between the lines, he asked him the following question. Okay, why between the lines? Could be because one is not permitted to write down Torah Shabbat Peh, and therefore he had to write it uh, in a way like he's uh, telling a story, and uh, between the lines you can see that he's asking this uh, legal question. Okay, the question is, What if brothers who inherited the estate of their fathers uh, um, gave, uh, have made a mortgage, a lien, on a certain property that they have? And then their sister is getting married, and she says, I want a dowry. Uh, can she go ahead and seize that piece of land? That was the question. Havayatebrebichia was there with Rabbi Udanasi when he received the letter. Amale machru o mishkenu. So Rebichia asked Rabbi Udanasi, I don't understand Rav's question. Is he asking about a case where they sold the property? And the question is, can the their sister go ahead and repossess it after it was sold? That would be a very you know high level lien. Or the brothers retained their uh, ownership, but they just mortgaged it out. They took a loan. And they said, okay, they, the, the land that they own is mortgaged out to someone else, like to the bank. Rabbi said, well, what's the difference? There is no difference whether the brother sold it or they only kept, mortgaged it but kept the title. The the uh, sister can re, can repossess the land for her dowry. That's what parnasa means, but not for her regular support of food where that she gets when she is a minor. So yes, the answer is yes. She can repossess it. Good. Vedav imachru mishkenu Now back to Rav. How come he left it vague? If he wanted to know a case about selling it, he should have wrote, written machru. Or if he wanted to know about a mortgage, when it's mortgaged, he just should write. He should have written mortgage. It says he wrote she bedu that there is a uh, uh, a lien on it. So which is ambiguous. Why wasn't he more clear? Rav tarvayhu kami so Rav actually wanted to ask both. That's why he used an ambiguous term. If he just writes sell, selling, uh, the question about uh, if it's sold, and if they wrote back that if the land is sold, she can collect, then if it's sold, she can collect, can collect all the more so if it's mortgaged, where the brothers still actually own it, certainly she can collect, and then he would know the answer to both. But... But if it be sent back that we do not collect from sold land, then Rav would say, I still don't know about mortgage. Maybe only because it's sold, she cannot repossess it. But if it was simply mortgage, she could repossess it. So that's why he didn't write uh, only sold. And if Rav in the question only wrote mortgage, if he had written to me that we do not take it when it's mortgage, she could, does not repossess it when it's mortgage. Certainly, she would not repossess it if it's completely sold. So he would know the answer to both. But but if you would answer me, yes, we do. She does repossess it when it's mortgaged. I still wouldn't know whether when it's completely sold. Uh, it's totally out of their hands, even there she could repossess it and he wouldn't know the answer. Then you have to go and write another letter. So, so therefore he wrote the word which means any type of lien uh, that uh, the uh, creditor has on that land and therefore that applies both to a mortgage land and also to a land that is sold. All right, now so uh, we know that Rabbi Udanasi 
thinks that she can repossess land, uh, whether it's sold or mortgaged. We're going to learn a different uh, opinion. Rabbi Yochanan agrees that there's no distinction, but he says in both cases, uh, she, uh, the, uh, the sister can go and collect from land that they currently own, but if it's mortgaged or sold, she cannot collect from that land. Question, Rabbi Yochanan, what's his relationship with Rabbi Yudanasi's statement? Did he not hear it? But if he heard it, he would have accepted it. He just didn't know. Rabbi Yudanasi is a Tana and a teacher of Rabbi Yochanan. And so maybe Rabbi Yochanan just didn't know it, but he would have accepted it. Or maybe he did hear it, but nevertheless, he did not accept it. Rabbi Yochanan maybe has another source, another reason. And he would have stuck by his opinion that we, she cannot repossess the land. That's the question. We're going to try to answer from here that it seems she, he did know. And rejected, and and nevertheless disagreed. Tashema, ditemad. Mi shemet shete banot uben. A very interesting case of a man who died and left two daughters and one son. So when he dies, the inheritance goes to his son. Then one of the daughters gets married, and she collects one tenth from her brother from the estate uh, for her wedding. But then the, the then the son died before the second daughter got married. And so when the brother dies, then the estate gets split equally between the two sisters. The thing is that the sister who didn't get married yet, she wants to claim one tenth from the original uh, from the original inheritance, meaning even though she's getting half, she would like to get half of a tenth from her sister because she goes to her sister, you got a tenth from the total, I want a tenth from the total also. Uh, so even though it was, uh, the inheritance was re-inherited, uh, nevertheless, the uh, sister who didn't get married yet wants to basically repossess uh, land that the brother had, even though it now went to her older sister. She wants to repossess that amount. So uh, can she do that or not? Sorry, you lost your chance. The second sister, if you had gotten married while the brother was alive, then the brother would have given a tenth of the uh, estate for your wedding. And if he died after that, then you would have gotten half uh, post getting the tenth which would have been a benefit for her. But now you lost it. So we can infer from this that Rabbi Yochanan would say, if the brother had a land and sold it, also she cannot come after it. Rabbi Chanina disagreed with Rabbi Yochanan, and he said, we have an even bigger law. We, the sister, can repossess land for her dowry. It's true not for food, but yes, for dowry, so that if the brother sold the land, she can go after it. And you say that the second sister loses it, all the more so the second sister should be able to repossess uh, that amount from her sister because it's still within the inheritance. So that's um, uh, a closer access than if it's sold all altogether. So you see, that's machloket between the Biochanan and the Bichanan. The Bichanina is following the same uh, opinion as the Biodanasi. Now, Vimita, if the Biochanan knew about the Biodanasi's uh, opinion, rather, if he didn't know his opinion, then then he should have asked, wait, who said that, Rabbi Chanina? You're telling me a, a, a law that I didn't know. I didn't know Muslims are not. Who said that? He would have told him, Rabbi uh, Udanasi knew it. So the fact that he didn't ask, and must be, he knew uh, that Rabbi Udanasi said it, and nevertheless, he disagreed that's what we're trying to prove from this conversation. But we reject that, not necessarily. Maybe he never heard it. And in fact, if he heard it, he would have accepted it. 
um, and uh, as fine. And nevertheless, even if he accepted the Biudanasi's opinion that the the sister can collect from land that was sold, he still would have ruled the same in this case. The reason is because there's abundance in the house. She just received half of the inheritance. So she's going to go quibble now about half of a tenth that the sister got, right? She already got the one half of the inheritance more than she ever would have expected, uh, ever would have gotten had the brother stayed alive. And therefore, since she has a lot, the whole point of the, her receiving a tenth is to make sure that she is taken care of, right? Shouldn't be that the brothers get everything and the sister has nothing. So we, the rabbis go out of their way to say, you know, it makes sure uh, she should get a tenth, though she should get something. But here she's getting plenty. So she doesn't have to, she doesn't have a right to go after the uh, other part that her sister had uh, already received in her inheritance. So Rabbi Yochanan may very well agree with Rabbi Yochanan, uh, with Rabbi Yehuda, but still have disagreed about this. says, according to your logic, that when she has plenty, then she doesn't get a tenth. What if she finds a lost item that is worth a lot, worth more than a tenth of the estate that she would have gotten in her dowry, and so she has plenty in her home? Would you say also that the brother will tell her, oh, look, you have plenty. You're very rich. You're, I'm not giving you anything. Does, just because she has, she happened to find something, should she lose out on the dowry that she is, is coming to her? So Rabbi Asha said, no, I was talking about the inheritance, uh, abundance in the house from the property of the estate. If it came from a, a different source altogether, that has nothing to do with it. Then yes, she still um, is owed this uh, this dowry. That's what the, the rabbis decided she should get. So she should still get it. But if the uh, abundance comes from the, the estate that she is claiming, so she already got more than a tenth. Uh, in that case, she has no right to claim even more. Good. Amad Amemad, Bat Yoreshetavya. And now, a very, uh, a really amazing statement by Amemad says, daughter does inherit. And though usually we say daughters don't inherit, and that is um, a, a lot of opinions, but there are some opinions, um, uh, especially in the Tosefta and in other sources, that uh, some rabbis thought that a daughter does inherit. Now, Mehmet doesn't say how much exactly, does he mean equally? It seems, you'll see from the continuation, that he's, we're, we're talking about one-tenth, right? She has a right to one-tenth. Not um, if the uh, which um, uh, generally would be less than the sons get, but still she gets to inherit. Challenging Are you just saying that she deserves a tenth, as we've been saying before? But, or are you saying it's really an inheritance? For example, let's say the brothers uh, want to pay her off um, and give her a tenth in cash. Are you telling me that they can't do that because she inherits a part of the land and she can and she can come and say, no, I want a tenth of all the land. Yes, that's what I'm saying, right? That she doesn't have to agree to get cash. She can insist that she wants a tenth from the land. It's like a real inheritance. Further question, what if the brothers say, okay, listen, you can get a tenth from land. We're going to give you this one piece of land. Is that, is, is that sufficient? Can they say that? Or are you saying that she is really so much like an inheritor that she has an inheritance of one-tenth of each piece of land? In fact, that's right. The brothers cannot uh, insist that she take only one piece of land. She can insist that she has a right to one-tenth of every piece of land. So for Amemad, it's like a real inheritance, except it's not uh, you know, an equal share, it's one tenth share. Oh, sorry. that's so that's a pretty strong claim. No, I don't, I disagree with that. And she is merely a creditor, the brothers owe her one tenth of the estate, and therefore they can pay with one piece of land, they can pay with cash, and she has no claim to. Any up uh, uh, all the land. And in fact, Amemad, who said it was inheritance, he changed his mind. 
and eventually agreed with Avashe that's not an inheritance, it's just a loan. Uh, so this sage was in front of Amemad himself, that's the one who said before that was inheritance. Well, we're going to see from here he changed his mind. And a certain woman came to him, and he was the judge, and she was claiming she wants to collect her tenth. A tenth of the estate. And Abinumi says, I was able to understand that um, according to Amemar, right, I saw that in his mind, if the brothers wanted to give her money, they could have given her money and that would have fulfilled her claim. And he, she could not uh, insist on land. How, did, how does he know that? How does Amenomi know that Amemar would say that? He heard the brothers telling each other, if only we had cash on hand, we would give her money and that and we would fulfill our obligation with cash. Uh, it seems that they didn't have enough cash, so that's why they, in that case, particular case, they probably had to give her some land. But they said, if we had cash, we would give it. And the Mamar was quiet and didn't tell them, didn't object and said, no, you can't give them cash, you have to give them land. So that means that he agreed. Uh, uh, otherwise, as a judge, if someone is there, you know, making a false... Um, claim or a false possibility, even if it didn't actually happen, he should have objected. He says, no, no, you can't, you couldn't even give cash, even if you wanted to. So therefore, it seems Amemar agrees that if they had cash, they could have given it, which means it's a, cre- it's a loan that she is collecting as a creditor and not an inheritance. And so therefore, she cannot collect from the land. So you see, Amemar actually changed his mind. Now, now that we understand that the daughter is like a creditor, who is who is this credit be, to being collected from? Who is the primary debtor? Is it the father? And now uh, she, the father owed her the, 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 the amount of the dowry. Now it's not technically owed because remember, the father could say, I don't want to give you a dowry, but usually he does. So do we consider the father the one who is the debtor and now the sons inherit the debt? Or is, uh, are the sons themselves the direct debtors? And she is collecting directly. They owe her because they have the estate. They owe her the dowry. What would be the practical difference? The difference would be, usually when a creditor comes to collect a debt, they can collect from medium quality land and you don't, and, and uh, would not have to give an oath. Uh, so if she can go to the brothers and say, hey, give me, the, give me my tenth, and she collects, uh, if, it's, if they are the direct debtors and they owe directly to her, she can come without an oath and get intermediate land. But Ziburit B'Shuvu'ah, if uh, the direct debtor is the father and the sons are only inheriting the debt, the law in that case, when someone owes something, when the father owes something to someone and uh, the sons are paying it instead, in such a in such a case, the one who's collecting it has to make an oath because they weren't there. They're like, well, give me an oath. We, we, didn't, we didn't lend you the money, right? So you have to promise that, in fact, you are owed the money, and they get inferior quality. And so if we see that the daughter has to make an oath and can only collect from inferior quality, that would mean that the original debtor is the father and the sons are only inheriting the debt. That would be a practical difference between this conceptual uh, challenge. Okay, my. So, what's the answer? Ravina was acting as judge, and he allowed the daughter of Rav Asher to collect from 
Mor, the son of Rav Asher. So that sister and brother, right? Rav Asher apparently died, and uh, Mor, Bered Rav Asher, inherited the property. And now the daughter of Rav Asher wants to get married and wants to come collect her dowry. And Ravina says, you can get the intermediate land and you don't have to give an oath, which means he considered the brother to be the immediate creditor, not the father. Um, the story goes on and says, And he also allowed her, Ravina, allowed the same woman to collect from Rav Sama, the son of Rav, uh, the, from the son of Rav Sama, the son of Rav Asheh, the Rav Asheh's grandson. What seems to happen is that Rav Sama died, Rav Asheh died, and Rav Sama, his son, died, and so Rav Sama's share went to his son. Uh, so that Morbid Avasheh had half the inheritance, the other half was inherited by this woman's nephew. From the nephew, the nephew certainly is not the direct debtor, debtor. he inherited the debt from his father, Rav Sama. So in that case, uh, the woman had to swear and only got inferior land, because that certainly, according to everybody, is an inherited debt. Okay, good. So the uh, we conclude that the debt is a direct one from her brother. Shalach le Rav Nechemiah de Rav Yosef le Raba bar Rav Huna Zuta min Nehar Dea ki atya ha iteta lekamach ag ba. Uh, so Rav Nechemiah, son of Yosef, sent a message to Rabba Bar Rav Hana uh, from Nehar Deas. Is a certain woman is coming to you? In other words, apparently the woman came to Rav Nechemiah and said, "Hey, I am owed this uh, money, but the money is in this other town." So Rav Nechemiah sent the, a message to Rabba, who was the rabbi in that town. This woman is coming to you. And she deserves to uh, collect one-tenth of an, of an estate, and she can collect it from land, from land only, but the millstone is considered like land. So this is a millstone here. It's, uh, it's connected to the ground, so that's like land also. Uh, this Pesach uh, Halacha disagrees with Rabbi. Rabbi yesterday we saw said that one can collect, a woman can collect her dowry from land or movables. According to this, only from land, but land includes something that's stuck to the ground, like a mill. Similarly, uh, When we were students of Kana's house, we would collect the one-tenth for the dowry, even from rental fees uh, for the house, because rental fees are also part of the real estate. Uh, they're not the, connected to the, they're not the ground itself or connected to the ground, but they are profits that come from the land, and so that is considered real estate also, and can be used to, uh, for, and she can collect her dowry payment from that. We next have a fantastic story. Shalach le Rav Anan le Rav Huna. Rav Anan sent a letter to Rav Huna and said, Huna habrin shalam, Huna, my friend, my colleague, uh, uh, peace be upon you. Sounds like they're good friends. Listen, this following woman is coming to you, and so therefore when she comes to you, give her a tenth of her father's estate that the brothers have inherited. I looked into this case, and uh, it's in your jurisdiction, so uh, I decided, so can you fulfill my decision? So Rav Huna received the letter while, uh, while uh, Rav Sheshat was present when Rav Huna was reading the letter. And so uh, Rav Huna told Rav Sheshat, listen, I want you to be a messenger and I want you to tell him, Rav Anan, this following response exactly word for word. And if you don't tell him what I'm saying, you will be excommunicated. So obviously, Rav Huna has some harsh words to report to Rav Anan. Rav Shashat is not going to want to deliver them. That's why Rav Huna has to tell the messenger, Rav Shashat, I'm going to excommunicate you if you don't say this exactly. Here's what you should say. Anan, Anan. So calling him by his first name, just like uh, without a title Rav, uh, just like he uh, wrote in the letter, Huna. So, and twice. Mimekar ke'e o mimitaltele. 
Question number one, should this tenth be, be uh, provided for by only land or movable property? Well, we know this is a machloket. The B said it could be both. Others said only from land. And furthermore, uh, tell me who sits at the head of a mazdeha, a house of mazdeha. What is Mazrecha? We'll see. It's a house of mourning. And in those days, when they're sitting in a house of mourning, the eldest or the most prominent person sits at the head of the mourners. So who sits at the head of in the house of mourning? Uh, but he just uses the term Mazrecha. Okay. Azal Rav Sheshad Kamed Rav Anan Amale Mor Rabba Verabhuna Rabbe Rabde Rabba Veshamute Shamit Mandela Amar Le Vei Lav Deshamet Lahava Kaimna. So Rav Sheshad goes to Rav Anan, and before he delivers the message, he gives the following preamble, apology. He says, My master, you, Rav Anan, you are a teacher, but Rav Huna is a teacher's teacher. He is of greater stature. And he threatened excommunication for anyone who does not do what he said. And therefore, if he would not, well, he was, if, he, if not for the excommunication, I would not have fulfilled this messenger. Uh, I would not have been a messenger and told you the following. So he's saying, don't shoot the messenger. I had to, I was forced to come and tell you the following message, but get ready, it's going to be harsh. And the message is, Anan, Anan, right? Anan, Anan. Why, when I should give her the tenth, what well, should it be from land or from property? And who sits in the house of Mazrecha at the head? So if Anan goes to Morukva, Morukva was the Resh Galuta. He's the, the head of the community in Bavel, the, the um, exilarch. Uh, so Rav Anan is going to him, kind of like, you know, going to the, um, to the boss, to the CEO, and like, you know, look what this other rabbi sent to me. Maybe he'll intervene and... Uh, and tell Ravuna that he shouldn't act that way. He says, look, look what he sent me. He says, Anan, Anan. Look how he refers to me. First of all, without a title, and twice, Anan, Anan, like in a demanding way. I'm offended by the way he addresses me. And furthermore, And furthermore, he's asking me a question, who sits at the house of Mazrecha? I don't know what he's talking about. What is Mazrecha? I never heard of this. Morukva, instead of defending Ravanan, uh, uh, says, He says, listen, easy might mean my friend, as she says, or tell me if so, um, the, uh, the, the uh, content of the matter. What exactly happened? Tell me about it. So he tells him the whole story about this woman and what happened. A person that doesn't even know what the word Mazreha means, you, Anan, Rav Anan, you're going to tell, you're going to send a message to Rav Huna and call him Huna, my colleague? You think you're on the same level as Huna, your, your colleague? This was happened to me. I sent, when I was a graduate student, I sent a professor uh, an email with the professor's first name only. And that was not a good thing, right? You're, you're not colleagues. You have to show deference to Ravuna. You don't even know what Mazreha is. Okay, now we want to know. So what is it? My Mazreha? Abel. It's a mourner. In Yirmiyah, Hashem says, do not enter into a house of Mazreach is a mourning house. So, Mazrecha is simply the Aramaic form of Mazreach. The word Mazrech appears only two times in Tanakh. It's a, somewhat of a difficult word. And how do we know what is, who, who sits at the head? That it should be the mourner and the, chi, the, um, uh, uh, the prominent of the mourners that sits at the head rather than the people who come visit. Ve'eshkon ke'melech ba'gedud ka'asher abelim yinachem. 
There's Iyob talking about how he was a leader. I chose out their way. I sat as a chief. I dwelt as a king in the army and the ends, uh, one that would comfort the mourners. So you see, he is uh, just like he's the head of all those other contexts. He's the head when it comes to comfort the mourners. So we ask about that. Hold on. Yenachem, acherim ashma. That sounds like he is the one doing the comforting, which means that the comforter and uh, not the mourner would be at the head. You should read it in, as a passive form. Would would be comforted as someone who is comforted. The mourner is the one that sits at the head. That's one place we learn it. Or from we learn it from pasuk and Amos, which is the other one other place that uses this term in Tanakh. Where it says the uh, the mizrach, the revelry will uh, uh, will 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 pass away, will go away, sar. And so we're learning this as um, the word marzach, even though here the translates as revelry, um, because uh, since it only appears twice, it's hard to translate. Um, but here uh, he Morzutra is interpreting it as mor bitter and zach flustered will be the ruler over those who sit. So someone who is a mourner, then they're bitter and flustered, they become the, uh, the heads. They sit at the head of the uh, table when they sit on the floor and, um, and receive visitors. Okay, so uh, so that's, uh, that's what the word means. And you see, Rav Anan didn't even know what the word means. And so the problem was that he addressed uh, Rav Huna uh, uh, in a presumptuous manner, uh, making him like an equal, and that's why Rav Huna took offense and sent back such a sharp uh, reply. Part of his answer was, or like, are you going to tell me the law? You don't even know the law, what this is. You're going to tell me also what to do and what the law is? Do you um, collect from land or movables? Uh, so Ravuna, uh, that was part of what he took offense to. Uh, bottom line, what is the halacha? Uh, that halacha is that we collect from land, but not from movable objects. And that is true. Ben limzone, ben ben panasa. That's true when the inheritance has to pay for the food for a minor daughter, or to pay for her basic ketubah payment, or for panasa, or for the dowry, for all these things, one pays, collects from land, and not from movables. All right, last Mishnah of the Perek. A man, before he dies, sends, uh, uh, appoints a trustee, and tells the trustee uh, to take this money, and I want you to buy, use the money to buy land for my daughter. I want my daughter to have this land. Okay, so now the the father dies, the trustee comes and says, okay, I'm going to buy some land, and she, the daughter, says, I don't want the land. Uh, it's okay. Take the money and give it to my husband, and uh, that's what I want, right? You want it, you're doing it for my benefit anyway, so just do that. Uh, so should the trustee listen to her or do what the father said? The answer, according to Bimeir, is he has to do what the father said and has to go and buy land and put it in her name. That's what Bimeir says. Wait, what if he just he gives her the land and she wants to sell it? It was already sold uh, immediately whenever she decides to sell it, so she has a right to sell it. Therefore, the trustee should not listen to what the father said, but rather what she says. She's the one that's going to be the beneficiary. She's going to get the land, and if she wants, she can sell the land immediately. Um, so, therefore, just give them the money, and she'll take the money, and once, if she is already married, or once she gets married, then that will transfer to her husband, and she says, I, um, I trust my husband, and, uh, you know, he'll do what's good for me with it. So, Rabbi Yosef says, we don't listen to the father, we listen to the daughter. Now, when is this true? Big when she's an adult. But when she's a minor, the act of a minor is not considered a legal act. A minor cannot make a transaction, cannot sell land. So from the Peshat of the Mishnah, it looks like Rebbe is qualifying Rebbe Yosef. Rebbe Yosef's logic is that since she could sell it, so therefore just give her the money. 
but that would only be true if she's an adult. If she's a minor, then she's not ready. She's not ready to make decisions. She can't make a transaction. In that case, the uh, trustee uh, should listen to the father and buy her land. So if she's a minor, to be Yose would agree with to be Meir. All right, that's the Peshat. You see, the Gemara is going to take this from and say, obvious, that's obvious for to be Yose and actually apply it to to be Meir. Let's see. Uh, so now we have a Tosefta that's parallel to our Mishnah and says someone who uh, appoints a trustee or for his son-in-law and tells the trustee to buy a land, buy land for his daughter. Uh, says, I don't want the land, just give the money to my husband and he'll do, uh, he'll do what's good. So the Tosefta introduces a distinction that we did not find in the Mishnah, that if they're already married, then she can do, she says, she can say that, um, and uh, therefore the, the, the trustee just gives the money. But if she's not yet married, only had only Kiddushin, then the trustee should do what he said. Uh, because the we assume the father told this trustee this when they were engaged and for the time that they're engaged. Once they're married, uh, their money is going to be, her money is going to be transferred to him anyway. And so even if it's land, he will control the land. Uh, and so once they're married, is it doesn't matter. Uh, but or when, uh, and so therefore, you know, just uh, just give him the, give him the money and they'll take care of it. Uh, but the father's directive was uh, aimed primarily when she is only engaged. So that's uh, Rabbi Yosef says, if she's an adult, even if she's married, that, uh, or even if she's only engaged, right? If she's married, it'd be, it'd be, it would agree. If she's an adult, even if they're not married yet, she has a right to say, uh, just give him the money and don't buy land. Now, Ketana, Ben Mina Nisuin, Ben Mina Erusin, Yaseh Shalish, Mashu Shlash Beyado. If she is a minor, then whether she's married or not, this is all the Biose, the trustee should do what he was entrusted to do and buy land here because she is a minor. So this is the and the Mishnah is equivalent to this clause here and it is in fact the Biose's opinion. Okay, now we ask, my Benaihu, what case exactly would they disagree on? Because uh, the Bimi is making a distinction between married and not married. The BSM making a distinction between adult and a minor. Well, what about the they're they're talking past each other? Uh, so, which cases would they disagree about? Uh, Perhaps they are disagreeing about when she's a minor but already fully married. Did uh, where because they are they had did nisuin, the Bimi says once you do nisuin, so she can say, just give it to my husband and we listen to her, even though she's a minor. And Bio says, no, the main thing is whether she's a minor or not. And even if she's married, yeah, if she's an adult and married, we listen to her, uh, or even just an adult, but if she's a minor. Even if she's married, we do not listen to her. So this could be the case that they would disagree about. But this doesn't make sense. Emma sefa. Look at the last clause of the Mishnah. This was the in the Bamed right? With the minor, we she cannot make a transaction. So we ignore her words. Who said these words? If the Biyose, and that that does it is the smoothest reading of the Mishnah. It comes right after the Biyose. But that would be obvious for the Biyose because he that's he already said that in his own words. The Biyose's reasoning. Why we should listen to her is because even if we gave her a field, she could sell it. Uh, she could sell it immediately. Now, uh, that applies to an adult who has the capability of selling it. But a child does not have the capability of selling it. So the logic doesn't work for a child. Therefore, it's obvious for that the Biosea would say, we listen to her 
only when she's an adult, not when she's a minor. And it makes no difference whether she's married or not. So therefore, the Bimadarim is not for the Biyosei's words, where it's obvious. So the Bimadarim is actually going back on the Bimadarim. And here's how you have to understand the Mishnah. It says that the uh, trustee has to do what he was told when it's only a kid, uh, only Kiddushin, not Nisuin. Uh, uh, wait, it's okay. As to what he's told, so that's what it says in the Mishnah. When uh, only uh, the trustee has to go and buy the land if they only did kiddushin, but not nisuin. Uh, but if they did nisuin, then she, then she can decide. And furthermore, Rabbi Meir adds another. Uh, distinction this is for Rabbi Meir only if she's an adult but if she's a minor then we don't listen to anything in other words according to uh, Rabbi Meir we uh, do not listen to her if she uh, it's either she's a minor or she is Arusa we only listen to her if she is both Gedola and Nesu'a. Ela, so therefore, they would not be disagreeing on the Ketana. Bidibi Meir and the Biyose would agree that when she's a Ketana, married or not, we do not listen to her. So that's not the point of disagreement. So what is? Ela gedola mina erusin If she's an adult and only has Kiddushin, not Nisu'in, that's where it would make a difference, according to the Bimeir, since it's only Edusin, not Kiddushin. So we listen to the father, and he has to buy the land. According to the Bimeir, she's an adult. She could sell it. And therefore, we listen to her. Okay. Itmar, Rav Yehuda, Amar, Shemuel, Halacha, Bottom line, Shemuel says that we follow the Bimeir. Rav Amar, Rav Nachman, Halacha, Bimeir. Whereas Rav Nachman says we follow the opinion of the Bimeir. We continue with, with a related story. The full story is in Masechet Ta'anit Kaf Aleph, where we learn that Rabbi Yochanan and Ilfa, who were uh, colleagues, uh, both great sages, uh, when the uh, when they were suffering extreme poverty, they decided to stop studying full-time and they went into business. However, um, uh, Rabbi Yochanan then changed his mind. Uh, he got uh, a, a message and he changed his mind and he went back to learning. He became a Rosh Yeshiva, whereas Ilfa went and continued in business. So when that happened, Ilfa wanted to show that although he was he continued in business, nevertheless, he did not lose his learning. So here's, he made, he made a public challenge. Ilfa, tela te machuta. He went and suspended himself from the mast of a ship. His I challenge anyone to come and tell me a braita from the collection of Rabbi Chiyah and Rabbi Oshaya. They were famous uh, um, sages between Tanaim and Amoraim who gathered together baraitot in collections for like the Tosefta that we have. And he says, anyone quote me a braita and I will show that I can learn the very same thing from a Mishnah. Even though the uh, uh, Mishnah and Baraitot are, are, are different texts and the Baraitot are, often have a lot more uh, details and cases than are in the Mishnah, I can show that the Mishnah has the basic principles of all of the oral law and uh, from it I can derive any baraita. This is actually a very, really fascinating idea and methodology that uh, the baraita are all just expansions upon the Mishnah, and uh, they're all uh, um, hinted to in some way in the Mishnah. So if anyone does that and I can't, f- I can't find it, then I will uh, fall from the mast and I will drown myself. So I am that sure of myself. So come test me. Atahu Saba, so an elderly man uh, came and he did. Tanale ha omer tenu shekel lebanai b'shabat. Urin liten lahem sela, notin lahem sela. A person on his deathbed says, I don't want my sons to inherit my entire estate in one lump sum. Then you know, they're just going to be lazy and they're not going to work. And so here's what I want you to do. I want to put it in the hands of a third party trustee. And I command that trustee to give them one shekel every week 
And that's it. They'll have one shekel a week to sustain themselves, uh, and that'll go on until the uh, until uh, you know for uh, for for a long time until the uh, estate runs out. So I want you to pay it slowly over time. Now, if it's a case where they require a sela, that's two shekelim, um, because you know the 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 f- uh, prices for food went up, a shekel is not enough. We give them a selah. Even though the father said shekel, we give them two shekelim because we assume the point, the father's making the point that I don't want them to get this one lump sum and they're going to just spend it uh, freely. I want them to have only enough to sustain them. Maybe they're young. So that's all I want. So the point is to sustain them. So he, he figured a shekel, but he meant whatever it, whatever it required to sustain them. So we give him a sela. That's what the father would have wanted. But if the father uses a phrase and says, give the, only give them a shekel, do not give them anything more than a shekel, then he meant exactly, specifically a shekel, and did not want to give them any more, even, even though it won't be enough to feed them. They'll have to find some other way to get their sustenance. All this is continuation of the Braita that the elder is quoting and that uh, Ilfa is going to have to show from a Mishnah. If the um, uh, father said, when uh, they, if they die, if my sons die, then I want I want other people to inherit my estate. In other words, I don't want their sons to get it. I don't want the, their other, you know, other relatives to get it. I want it to go to a third part, uh, someone else altogether, to the synagogue, to the museum, to some other guy. I don't want it to stay in their family. In that case, Ben Shamar Tenu, Ben Shamar Altitenu, and Notim Lahem Ela Shekel. In that case, we see that the father really did not want to enrich his own kids. He wanted to give them something very minimal and really uh, wanted the estate eventually to go to another cause altogether. So therefore, that reveals that whether he said, give them a shekel or do not give them anything more than a shekel, either way, you give them only a shekel because he wanted to preserve the estate and not give a lot of money to his kids. And that's his right. He can decide to do that. Okay, so who is the author of this Mishnah? Uh, the main point that we're focusing is on is that even though it's their money, it's, the, it's really it's their inheritance that is someone else, a, a third party is uh, a trustee to, um, can, can, can't they demand that at least we should get uh, sustenance? And the answer is no. If he says, give them only a shekel, we give them only a shekel. The other ones, because we assume that he would want but if he really says, give them only a shekel, we give them only a shekel, even though it's their inheritance, it's not theirs to decide. So who is the opinion that says, we do precisely what the father said? Amaleh, answers, who is the author? Rabbi Meir, he damar misvada kayim This would be made from our Mishnah, because in our Mishnah he says, you have to fill exactly what he says, and the third party has to go, um, and since the instruction in that case was for Edusin, so even if she's an adult, um, uh, but she's only an arusa. You have to, he has to go and buy the field. So it's the same principle here. So even though our Mishnah didn't talk about these specific cases, Ilfa successfully shows that our that the that paraita um the principle is derived from Rabbi Meir's um opinion. Okay, Amarav Chista Amar Mor Ukva Hilchata Ben Shamar Tenu Ben Shamar Alti Tenu Notin Lahem Kol Sorkam. The halacha is whether he said this language or that language. We give them a full selah, whatever they need to be sustained. In other words, we do not follow the opinion of Rabbi Meir. Hold on, Don't we say? Didn't we just say halacha follows Rabbi Meir that we have to follow the father's directive? Yes, even according to the Bimeid, he would say that's true in general, like in other cases, like with buying the land. But in this case, um, we can assume that really he would want us to pay to spend the full sale. Even if he says, don't give them any cent more than... Uh, Shekel, the the reason he said that is to encourage them to uh, to not spend too much, encourage them to go and work hard. That was his reasoning, but he didn't want them to starve, and so even Abimeir would agree 
in this case. Good. Um, let's just end the, finish off the pedic. Tenan hatam hapaotot mikachan mikach umimkaran mecher bemitaltelim. Mishnah and Gitin, it's related because it's going to quote our Mishnah, uh, the discussion is going to quote our Mishnah, says that children, minors, something that they buy or something that they sell, if it's movable items, um, is a valid sale. They can't buy and sell land, but they can, minors can buy and sell uh, movables. That's only true if there is no trustee that is in charge of their money. If if there is a trustee, then the trustee has the authority over all of their money, and so only the trustee can do things, and then in that case, even for movable items, their exchanges are not valid. If they go and sell something, it's an invalid sale. Now, Mimai, how do we know, how's of, how can Rav Raphram prove what he said? The Mishnah in Gitin doesn't say anything about that. So how does he know? He can prove it from our Mishnah here in Ketubot. The last line of Mishnah says that the action of a minor is considered nothing. Uh, we ask about that. Hold on. In our Mishnah, there is a shelish, but maybe that's different from apotropos. A shelish is just a third-party messenger agent that is for a specific purpose. Go and buy the buy buy land uh, for my daughter. But he's not in charge of all of the all of the assets. So maybe in that case, the reason why we say in the Mishnah, that the, the action of a minor is nothing, is because there is a third-party agent about that specific item. So then the, she can't overrule what her, the agent that the father sent for that specific thing. That's why in the Mishnah, the action of a minor is nothing. But if there's an apotropos, who's just a general custodian over everything, uh, and was not given specific instructions about this or that, in that case, we assume that if the minor, we can assume if the minor did it, then it's good for the minor. They wanted this thing, and so the uh, custodian would also uh, be it would be consistent with uh, having the custodian there, and there would be no problem. Maybe a minor can make a transaction when they're on their own, or even when there's a general custodian who's not about any specific thing. The minor still has a right to do that. Our Mishnah is not a proof because our Mishnah is where it was an agent specifically about this one item and says take this money and buy um, so then she, in that case she would not be able to uh, her, her action is not an action uh, so that's the question but if that was really true uh, then the Mishnah should have said if the reason is because it's a specific agent for this then the language should have been uh, if she's a minor, the third-party agent has to do exactly what he was sent to do, but doesn't say that. It gives a more the, our Mishnah has a more general formulation. My en ma'aseketana kelum. It says in general. The action of a minor is nothing. If they make a transaction, it's not a transaction. So we see, we see that's not particular to this exact case where it's a shalish. It's talking about, in general, any time that there is a custodian, whether a shalish or a potropos, it makes no difference. Uh, the minor cannot act on their own. But if there is no custodian, no shalish at all, then a minor can to make an exchange for movable items, although not for land. Hadran alach misiata isha chazakim uberuchim.